reflect on the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And these chanting in either in Pali, in English or in both. The reflections, the, the praises, these ceremonies are really what you make them. One can do these in a very perfunctory way, going through the motions because everyone else does it, or we can put our spirit, our attention into it, and really use it to awaken, to, to reflect, to make offerings, to give ourselves. It's easy for ceremonies to become perfunctory and just can just go become kind of things you do, mechanical things that one does. Even become superstitious if we allow it. And so sometimes in the Western world we've discarded ceremony ritual as superstition or unnecessary because so, so, much, so much of it that we have seen or experienced is merely a kind of just uh, something that doesn't seem uh, uh, to have any importance to our lives or any practical value. But when we discard ceremony rituals from our lives then we find our lives become something else, isn't it? There's, in a, say, a morning like this, we all come together to, to remind ourselves of our refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. There's a, a, a unity, we're all here chanting together. We're not trying to, to uh, emphasize our own individuality or unique qualities or talents or position, importance, social position or whatever, we're all here just doing the same thing. One kind of, one thing being done by many people. Is a, when we reflect on it in this way, then we have a sense of, of a common, a union, a unity of beings. all doing something good, all intending, uh, all inclining to the Dhamma, to truth. When we chant like the Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa, that can be merely mechanical parroting or poly or it can be something very meaningful to us. What, what do we mean by these words and homage to the Lord, the Blessed One, the Perfectly Enlightened One? The Lord, this word in English, that can, can, that can remind us of our Christian background. Uh, praise the Lord, kind of. Christianity that many of us uh, took a uh, have aversion toward or rebelled against, but bring it into uh, say into its actual meaning: the Lord or the leader, 
that the Buddha is, is the leader. And that's why when we internalize that within ourselves, we're, we are taking refuge in that which is, is, is the leader, the, the one who, who knows the way, the truth, the perfectly enlightened one, perfectly wise and blessed. What do we mean by blessed? What is a, what is a blessing? That is something good that happens. Goodness always is like a blessing to us. When something good, something beautiful, truth is a blessing. Virtue and, and kindness, compassion, these are great blessings for our human state. So a life without any blessings in it that isn't blessed by anything is a is a, a, a kind of hellish experience. If one has not had any, not been blessed by anything, had no experiences where one has been blessed or feels that one has been blessed or has been able to bless, to our own, give our own blessings, do that which is good and kind, uh, selfless actions, uh, blessings to others when we, when we do things uh, out of selflessness, no self-interest, just because it is the right and beautiful thing to do. That is a blessing to others. We're blessing others, giving blessings to others as others bless us. So this, this sense of blessedness and perfectly enlightened, knowing the way things are, there's no doubt, no, no delusion left. So we, we pray, this is our homage to the, the blessed, the noble, the perfectly enlightened one. Now these words inspire the mind, don't they? When we notice what inspiration is, you, you lift your, your heart up. Uh, it, it goes upward rather than downward. This sense of a rising up, of inspiration. Through just uh, being able to, just the, our ability to think inspiring thoughts. Negativity, of course, destroys inspiration when you, when you become critical or doubtful or Dismissing it, oh, it's just foolishness, silly, smarmy sentiments and so forth. The old Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, bah humbug type of mind. Then our life lacks inspiration. Everything is just, is just regarded as bah humbug. But as we uh, say, we, we begin to appreciate ability that we have to to be inspired or to inspire, to inspire ourselves. What is this? This is a beautiful function of the mind, isn't it? That our minds as human beings, we can, we can think beautiful thoughts. We have this kind of miraculous ability to create 
superlatives, the best, the blessed, the perfectly enlightened, the most noble, absolute purity, goodness, virtuousness, wisdom. This, these words themselves taken to, to a superlative state. These, are in, these inspire our minds. So reflecting on the, the way the mind is, what inspiration is, we, we're not just kind of being addicted to inspiration, going around trying to be inspired all the time and thinking uh, in beautiful thoughts as a kind of addiction or uh, just to, to attach to that, but recognize that this is a, we can use this as a skillful means, like the morning chanting is a chance to inspire the mind, opportunity to inspire, not to get addicted to inspiration, because inspiration uh, is not the end. It will inevitably, inspiration begins and ends, so it's, it's not uh, liberation. But without inspiration, we can't really start doing anything. We have to feel some measure of trust and faith and, and willing to, to put forth the effort to lift our hearts up, to, to elevate consciousness out of the doldrums of self-pity, self-concern, selfishness. Reflect on that which blesses us in, our, in your own life, the blessings of your life. Oftentimes we dwell on the misfortunes, the things, the bad things that have been done to us or the bad things we've done to others. Or the, we read the newspapers, we hear all about the rottenness of humanity, the, brutality, the stupidity, scandals and corruption are news. The mind kind of, why, why, do we, why do we read all that? Why do we want to fill our minds with that kind of, those kind of thoughts and ideas? What's so interesting about scandals and corruption and crime? One thing, those kind of conditions are exciting to the human state, aren't they? There's nothing, we find violence, sex and violence, very exciting to our, to our minds. If we want to get excited, we want to be excited. We, we go and watch uh, maybe a, 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 a boxing match, or some kind of sport where there's a measure of violence and rapid activity. Anything sexual is, is exciting to the human mind. It excites our minds. 
so that human beings get excited over these things, over the violence and sex, pornography, um, these kind of conditions, we easily absorb into that. That we, that doesn't, that is uh, just the way it is in, in this human state. These, these, the mind is easily influenced on those levels. So excitement is, is, is the way out. To get excited about something, and we can forget the dreariness or meaninglessness of our lives. The problems and difficulties of family life or the office or the factory or whatever, by completely absorbing into some kind of violent uh, actions or whatever, exciting conditions. And television, if you, uh, I mean, I don't really watch television, but the few times I have, one sees how it tries to excite, keep you, your attention kind of just always stimulated with uh, exciting images. Images uh, that really excite human, human uh, consciousness. It's quite unscrupulous, really, because it, it's, uh, it's uh, taking advantage of, this, of the kind of dark side of human experience, of our humanity. Or say a, a meditation retreat like this is we're trying to inspire and to point a way out of that darkness, that coarseness, that misery, toward the light, towards understanding, towards what is true and beautiful. So as much as we have a, a rather dark side, coarse and bestial tendencies in, in this human state, we also have uh, longings for the divine, for what is refined, what is pure, what is good. And so this is to be this we have to decide to do because good is not doesn't really absorb our attention good tends to not be exciting to us. Goodness is not an exciting experience. It can inspire us, but it can't excite us. And so on this level of excitement, sensual excitement, goodness oftentimes seems rather boring and dull. they're trying to make a film of the life of the Buddha and, uh, and the people that are what the writer of the script lives near Chitterst 
and he, his wife was telling me that uh, it's very difficult to, to write a, a film script about somebody who started out good and got better. not going to, <laughs> doesn't make an exciting movie. It'd be more interesting to have somebody that's good that got bad, that went bad. <laughs> if you tried to make a film about a good bhikkhu who kept all the Vinaya rules and, and did everything properly, it would, nobody would probably be interested in it. It would be a flop in the box office. But if you made a film about a Buddhist monk who broke all the rules, it would probably make lots of money. It would be exciting. And just, these are reflections only. They're not, they're not trying to... I mean, these are just reflections from my own mind about experience as a human being. But a life that's based on excitement tends to be one leading us towards confusion and self-aversion. When, when all we live, when our lives only to be excited by uh, the senses, and then we become very self, self-centered and, and our lives become meaningless. Then we, we can't respect ourselves. We burn out, become depressed because the result of trying to just have pleasure and excitement, the result of that will take us towards a kind of depression and despair. That's what I've seen anyway, and what I've noticed, that, that when one is always seeking pleasures and excitements, the result of that is a sense of despair, and depression, and anguish. Now the, the, the conditioning of the mind, say the, the ability to think and uh, create concepts, to perceive things, to have language, but when we attach to perceptions that conceptions and ideas, then we, we lose 
this, uh, our perspective on the flow of life. This is what I see is very much gone wrong in Western civilization. It's just the, that we attach to ideas, ideals of how things should be. And that those ideals, as, as good as, uh, and as fine as they might be, we, as attachments, as something that one holds to, the result is that we can only feel uh, a sense of frustration, irritation, impatience, resentment with the way things are. Because life as an experience is not an ideal, is it? It's not, not ideal, it is this way. Life is an experience, individually, is, is, is not what it should be, it's just the way it is. So when you, when you reflect on this, you notice just the way it is, not as a criticism, comparing it to, how thing, to an idea of how it should be, but recognizing that, that there is this flux and flow and change, life on this sensory realm, this, this uh, conditioned experience through the body and mind is the experience of change, impermanence. So it's never going to be what it should be. In moments it might seem like that. You can, life reach a, a kind of peak experiences. We have what they call peak experiences where we have this feeling that life is wonderful and it's perfect the way it is. But then it changes. You can't maintain a peak experience as a permanent state of experience. So ideas, ideals are, re- are usually the kind of attempts to, to talk about peak experiences, about the best. How things should be if everything could be at its peak, at its very best all the time. But as we all know, life is this way. It's, it's oftentimes just very dreary. Sometimes a lot of unpleasant things happen to us. It's not our fault all the time. Sometimes uh, the world comes crashing down around us. And all kinds of unpleasant experiences and unwanted situations. Sometimes life is just very pleasant and very easy and, and uh, pleasurable. But most of life is neither one extreme or the other, is it? It's neither particularly pleasurable nor painful. Just like our breathing, it's neither pleasurable nor painful. Just like our sitting or walking or standing or lying down, it's neither 
pleasurable nor painful. Most of our life is, is it, we're breathing, sitting, standing, walk, walking, lying down. It's neither one extreme, it's not extreme. And so the search for happiness is always looking for an extreme of, of pleasure, peak experiences, always looking for the, the best or for the, the excitement or the, the, the totally absorbing state or the, the wonderful moment. You can see this with the drug problems of, uh, that, that have uh, kind of taken over this country. I guess some of these drugs like crack and that just give such a, a kind of incredibly, incredible pleasurable experience that you become addicted to it immediately. Pleasure is addictive. The more pleasurable something is, the more you want it again. You want more and more of it. So when we're, when we're just obsessed with pleasure, then we become addicts, become addicted to it. Pleasure, excitement, these are addictive experiences. If we're not mindful, if we don't understand how our, how our mind works, then we just are always on the, on the go, trying to find get the next hit, the next high, the next peak experience. And the ordinariness of life is unbearable. Just breathing, sitting, standing, walking, lying down to a crack addict must be the most horrendous thing, a dreary prospect of sitting on a retreat like this, watching your breath. It would be absolutely hellish to just sit here in this, in this meditation hall and watch your breath. If you were looking forward to the next hit of crack where you get really, you get a fantastic experience out of it immediately. Didn't have to, as soon as you, whatever they do with it, you could, you're there. You don't have to wait for it. You just get it immediately immediate gratification. Years ago in Thailand, I did an experiment with sugar because in monastic life, one thing, they'll allow you to have sugar in the afternoon and so you can put sugar in your tea. And they have very nice granulated sugar in Thailand. It's, not, it's much more tasty than the stuff they make here in the state. And, uh, and the diet in Thailand is, uh, wasn't, didn't have much protein or was not a very kind of energizing diet. And so if you got some sugar, you get this quick energy. And sugar was hard to get. It's actually a luxury to get anything sweet in your in the monastic diet was was a rare experience. So one day, somebody gave me a bag of sugar, and I went back to my 
Kuti, my little hut, and I opened this bag and took a spoonful of this sugar, put it on my tongue, and just reflected on the experience. And it was totally delicious. The flavor, the sweet flavor of sugar was just totally delicious. And, and that, means, that meant that, and that when that was gone, I wanted another. I wanted another hit. Just, and so pretty soon, there was, the bag of sugar was almost consumed in one sitting. <laughs> but it wasn't uh, like a waste of time either, because I did observe. You know, I was very much reflecting on this. How, just w- how pleasurable that, that that taste is, and especially uh, if you if you haven't had it for a long time, if if, this, if your diet has not had any uh, sugar or sweets, just the pleasure, sensual pleasures like that. If one wants more, you have one spoonful. You want another. So so pleasure is 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 that way. The more pleasurable it is the more we want it. Pain works in the opposite way. It's, it's we want to get rid of it. As soon as we feel any pain, we want to get rid of it immediately. Any discomfort, any <clears throat> annoyance that we can see our minds when in Thailand where they would have a lot of insect life. And, and so that the ants, a lot of ants, I think Thailand is a, just one big anthill and termite mound. And when these ants and termites start entering your meditation hut, when it first, first happened, your mind goes, goes uh, frantic. I want to get rid of them. Get them out of here. I can't live here with these, these little creatures. And your, your, your conditioned mind wants to look for a pesticide, something to get rid of them quickly. Being monks, you can't use pesticides. So you have to figure out ways of getting rid of them uh, without killing them. That, that slows you down a bit. <laughs> but you can you can observe this, this tendency of the mind to want to get rid of something you don't like immediately. Pain is that way. that we want to, As soon as there's pain in the body, we want to get rid of it right now. Or any kind of illness, fever, sickness. We'd like, if somebody, cancer or AIDS or any of these things, we want to get rid of them right now. Give me a, a miracle drug that will just completely get rid of it this minute, this second, or as soon as possible. We don't want it. It's painful. It's unwanted. Emotional problems and the confusion. We don't like to be confused or uncertain, worried. 
upset, frightened, jealous, these kind of emotional states we want to get rid of. We like to suppress, deny, because they're painful, unpleasant experiences. Anger, surprisingly, can be exhilarating, can't it? One can feel pretty high on anger. But what we, what we tend to really don't like are the, the kind of sleepiness, dullness, mental agitation, guilt, and restlessness and doubt. And that we, just, we just want to suppress them, get out, annihilate them as quickly as possible. Lust and greed and, and anger can be quite exciting mental states. I mean, when you're angry, you feel really alert, awake. Indignation, to, to be caught up with, with indignation about, it's not fair, it shouldn't be allowed, that person. And we could feel really indignant sometimes in the Gulf War, both sometimes the way uh, the, the Americans acted or the way Saddam Hussein acted, depending on how your mind works and what, whether you're a peace, peacenik or not, or uh, a Green Party nonviolent type, or a patriotic American. That Saddam Hussein, we should not allow such a man to, and the righteous sense of righteousness is a very powerfully powerful emotion and very exciting, very... One feels alive when you're indignant, when you're, when you're angry about the injustices in the world. So one can, can excite or stimulate uh, a moment of one's life through becoming indignant or angry One can uh, lustful uh, sexual fantasies and they, these kind of things excite the mind. They you feel alive and awake with the excitement, uh, looking forward to some kind of sensu sensual pleasure, sensual fantasies. So in the human mind, if, we, if we're dependent only on being awake and alive through greed and anger and aversion, indignation, then when, when those conditions are absent, when there's nothing to, to, to feel, uh, look forward to, a sen sensual pleasure, there's nothing to feel indignant or angry about, then what happens? If, you're, if all your energy and ability to stay awake depends on, on those two uh, extreme experiences, then one finds one just going very dull, very restless, doubting, uncertain, worried, uh, these kind of miserable mental states will, will take over our conscious experience. We just want to fall asleep or just just move or distract ourselves in some way because the, 
these uh, are so unpleasant to bear. So that's why in meditation retreats we we may we, they are basically boring in sitting for long periods of time, walking back and forth. The the whole the whole uh, ambience of a meditation retreat is is not based on extremities of pleasure and pain or excitement, fun and games, but on learning to how to surrender, how to uh, abandon those desires for the extremes of experience, to learn how to abide in well-being, how to be with life as it is in its ordinariness, in its mediocrity, in its uh, boringness, in its routine, one same thing over and over again, learning to forbear, to endure. And to do that is, is you're developing virtues and abilities that, uh, within your, which you, um, which al- allow the human being to say, have self-respect. Which brings us joy. Joy is a, is a result of, of being patient and, and mindful. It's not happiness. You're not getting high on because you're having some fantastic time or fantastic experience. But joy comes from the purity of the human heart not dependent upon a peak experience. You begin to to abide in well-being in the present moment. Just accepting this flow of life as is in this moment is enough. We don't need to look for anything else. Look forward to the next extreme experience. Or if we do, we can observe that, how we can look forward to the tea, or look forward to, even in, in uh, meditation retreats, there are opportunities for a kind of, not, we wouldn't consider them extreme experience, but they are extreme in, in reference to, say, sitting, standing, walking, and lying down and breathing like having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or something, or having the meal. We can think we could sit here and, and look forward to the meal. Because that is that is more exciting, eating food, than sitting, standing, walking, lying down, and breathing. So that's why when we uh, uh, we we bring attention, pay attention to just this this flow of life in its ordinariness. Really, really notice just the the 
the way, the ordinariness of your feelings. Don't wait till you have extreme physical sensations, but uh, just notice what, just being conscious and just the, the, the feeling of the pressure of sitting, your body sitting on the, on the mat. Just the, the pressure of your clothes touching your body one hand touching the other, these kind of sensations are not extreme, so you, you, can, you have to notice them, you have to pay attention to them, because they're not the kind of sensations that will grab your attention. They're not extreme enough on the, until they become painful. We would not, not really bother to notice. So now we are paying attention to the way it is, reflecting on the way it is. It's this way. Sitting is this way. Breathing is this way. With this, this reminder, may I abide in well-being. Posture, the breathing, the feeling, do you feel hot or cold? Are neither hot nor cold. What is your mental state like? Do you feel alert, awake, bright or dull, restless, positive or negative, or neutral? Ah. Contentment uh, and being patient, enduring with the extremes you might be feeling or experiencing. Is to to be patient. This is a this is a human virtue that we all need to develop. We're we're not kind of naturally patient. Sometimes life brings us uh, opportunities to be extremely pain, like Daniel Barnes <laughs> sitting there in a wheelchair, <laughs> having to be patient, uh, forced patient, uh, forced to be patient due to the conditions of having to live in a wheelchair. Sometimes we. People get various diseases, paralysis, and so forth. They have to be patient, learn how to be patient. But let's, let's not wait till some extreme thing happens. Patience is something we all need to, to intentionally develop, to endure what we think we can't endure. Sometimes your mind my mind will say, I can't stand another moment of this. I've had enough. I'm fed up. But I've noticed I can always stand another moment. No matter how frantic and hysterical my mind becomes. Have you ever noticed that? I've got an amazing ability to endure that which I think I can't bear. 
the monastic life has made that very clear because it's a lot of times my mind would, I've had enough, I'm fed up, I can't stand it anymore, only to find out that I can stand it. <laughs> so I, I've become very distrustful of my, of my conditioned mind. It lies just like crazy. It'll say anything. It, um, conditioning is, is not to be trusted. So that's why we take refuge in Buddha rather than in our views and opinions, because our views and opinions are not to be trusted. They're, they're conditioned into the mind. They're oftentimes coming out of prejudices, bi- biases, fears, and desires. So that, that uh, but when we take refuge in Buddha, then we're taking refuge in that which is pure wisdom, intelligence. That's uh, where, say more, the intuitive ability to be totally receptive 